everyone. Welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast is all about you and helping you reach the big goals that you have for your life. And what next steps do you want to take to get there? I'm your host, Darren Johnson. Welcome to episode 75. Can you believe it? 75 episodes in. Many of you have listened to every single one. And to you, thank you so much for being along for the ride. For some of you, this may be your very first time tuning in, or maybe you've just started listening. I want to say welcome to you. I'm really glad you're here. If you haven't done so yet, I invite you to subscribe and follow this podcast. You do not miss an episode. For episode 75, it's a special treat to welcome Melissa Johnson to the show. Melissa is a licensed marriage and family therapist, also adjunct instructor at Bethel University in Minnesota, and the founder of Impossible Beauty, a blog and podcast dedicated to redefining beauty. Melissa's writing and podcast interviews seek to uncover what true beauty is and what it is not and how all of us go about finding beauty in a broken world. Melissa just released her brand new debut book entitled Soul Deep Beauty, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawless. Now we cover a lot of ground in this interview, including we touch on faith quite a bit. Faith is important to many of you, and I appreciate that. For others, not so much, and I appreciate that as well. I want you to know that everyone is welcome here. In this episode, even though there's definitely a thread of faith throughout, This topic applies to everyone, and I'm glad you're here. So what can you expect to learn in this episode? Well, we're going to talk about some of the cultural lies about beauty that we are being told every single day, every moment of the day. We all know it. We all think we can resist the pull to look a certain way. We are striving for this broken definition of beauty and feeling like we're not good enough. So with that as a setup, let's get into this. I am glad Melissa Johnson is here. Welcome to episode 75, everyone. Here is Melissa Johnson. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Melissa, I've been looking forward to this interview. You wrote a brand new book called Soul Deep Beauty. We're going to talk all about that, but tell us, how did you land in your current vocation? What's been your journey so far? Mm. <laughs> Try to be like, what's this? What's the short story of that? Um, yeah, so I started out of college and went right into grad school, and then um, went to pursue a degree in marriage and family therapy, and then launched right into being a therapist out of graduate school, and then was in therapy for, or I worked as a therapist for a while um, until I realized that I really wanted some more tools to integrate spirituality. Um, you know, I went to a seminary actually to get my MFT marriage and family therapy degree. Oh, you did? Um, I did. It was kind of, yeah, it was really cool. Bethel seminary hosted a program. They still host a program that, um, you can take your like social science courses, but then also add an additional year for, uh, Bible and theological studies. And so I did that. And I loved the program, but I realized that I didn't know that I had the tools to integrate spirituality into, um, into a person's healing. And so I really wanted those tools. And so I pursued an additional degree in spiritual formation and, um, and now I'm teaching at Bethel as well. So, um, what, what my vocational, um, life looks like now as I'm doing some therapy at a private practice. And then I teach a class on soul well-being at Bethel. And now this whole, um, there's this, the impossible beauty journey as well, which I think we'll talk about shortly, probably, but that was kind of a, that was not something I had set out to do. That was not part of the original plan. And yet it has become, um, an incredible, part of my journey. And so for those who don't know, Impossible Beauty is a a podcast and blog about redefining beauty as the life of God at work in us and among us. 
you went back and you then went to uh, more of a focus on spirituality in your counseling. Is that a best way to to talk about that? You know, I think I was um, in particular at this time when I really made the decision to go back for spiritual formation. Um, and with that, I got a certification as a spiritual director. Um, I was actually sitting with a number of uh, high school students who were um, dealing with some suicidal ideation. And the like some of the existential questions that were coming up, I, and I should say this too, just as part of my ethical code as a marriage and family therapist is, um, you know, I'm, I would never, um, you know, put my ideas on, on a client or anything like that, that would be unethical. However, in the instance, when someone brings it to the room, you know, if that's their spirituality as part of it, I, again, didn't feel that I necessarily had all the tools I wanted. Mm. Um, and so I think that that was, um, that was one piece of it is that existential piece. But then also I think for, for me in my own life, um, I see God as like the author of healing. And so I would love to, um, like, I I just wanted the skills to have like a deeper dive, take a deeper dive into that, that area. If, um, if the client was wanting to go there. Sure. Of, Mm -hmm. of all the topics that you could choose to write about, uh, why was this topic so important to you? You could you could write about anything. Why this? I it's interesting because I you know I loved writing growing up, but I never was like I'm definitely going to write a book. That's my lifelong dream. <laughs> I, I I wrote this book because I I had to. Um, what I mean by that, part of my journey that I did not mention so far is when I was working with those high schoolers um, as a therapist, my own therapist made, she kind of informed me subtly and then not so subtly that she thought it would be helpful for me to do some work around what she thought was an eating disorder. And I was, um, you know, in denial, but then also I think so many of the things that I was, I was believing and, um, engaging in, in terms of like exercise habits, I was seeing them in the world around me. And so I didn't quite understand why this was so disordered. Um, and so I did end up taking a pause and I went into some, did some work in an intensive eating disorder setting. And while I was in that setting, I was simultaneously pursuing that additional master's degree in spiritual formation. So during the day I would go and unlearn these cultural ideas around beauty and body image and food that I think are disordered culture has been feeding me and us our, our whole lives. And then at night I would learn about the mystics and grace and Mm. shame. Um, And so at the end of, as I got toward the end of my, my time there in intensive treatment, I started to see that a lot of the beliefs and struggles that were happening inside the therapy rooms were happening outside too. Like I was seeing what was being labeled as disordered ideas in um, intensive eating disorder treatment were actually the same disordered ideas that were being believed out in the the larger world. And so I just started to see um, how I, I like to say that like beauty had been turned against us, had been turned against me. And I think we had shifted this idea that I think um, I, I now define it as the life of God at work in us and among us. And so to me, that has just like glory and weight to it. And we've taken it and used it to sell products and put um beauty in a box to make people feel shame and insecurity to, um, to make money. And I I think I started to see just the incredible damage that that was, 
um, taking or like the, the toll that it was taking. And it was so profound within me that I, I couldn't like not do something about it. Wow. Um, and so that ended up, I, I came home one day from toward the end of my, um, treatment stint and I just started writing just, um, and I was like, I, I didn't know it was going to be a book or anything like that, but, um, I just like, I had to do something about it. That's higher level. That's higher purpose. Would you consider that a, a calling of a bit? Was, was there a calling or do you not think of it that mm -hmm. way? You know, it's, it's interesting. I feel like the, the word calling has so much weight to it, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I could. Yes. I think in this case, I do feel like, like that. I, mm. um, yeah, I've never felt something so strongly that I, that I had to do. And, um, yeah, it's been about, it's been eight years since I started writing that day and I have not been able to give up because I feel that I, I really had to get this message out to kind of sound the alarm bell on like, this isn't okay. This is, um, diminishing our souls and we, there's something so much better for us. Good for you. Well, in the book, mm -hmm. I read the book and mentioned before we started recording and I read it uh, last night and the, and earlier today, you mm -hmm. pull no punches, you pull no punches on this. Um, you, you say we are being lied to. Um, you also see the opening quote in the book on chapter one. Let me get to this here. Melissa is a quote from the new radicals cool band, um, <laughs> late nineties. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you've been brainwashed too. So we are being lied to in how. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think what I alluded to a moment ago that I think what advertisers and the beauty industry and the diet industry are, are telling us is beauty actually isn't beauty. Um, I think that again, with, with, my my definition of beauty, if we're defining it as the life of God at work in us and among us, the way or like the reason that I think that that is true beauty is because the marks of it are integration and thriving, whereas the kind of beauty that our culture is selling us um, actually brings about disintegration. And I would say that because it promotes shame. And um, so in in terms of like, um, within ourselves, it brings about shame. And Dr. Kurt Thompson talks about how shame actually brings about disintegration um, within and between neural networks um, and also disintegration between us. Uh, oftentimes the kind of beauty that our culture hands us promotes this comparison culture. Um, and also I would say between like ourselves and, and our bodies as well. And so I think the kind of beauty that we are being sold by our culture um, is, is all about making money and all about purposefully, um, promoting shame and insecurity to literally make billions and billions of dollars. You know, in your book, you cite a source that, uh, a study, 97% of women have at least one, I hate my body moment per day. And that, that stat really jumped out at me. And, and so take that back for me, where does, where does that type of thinking, uh, come from, are you going so far as saying is that's from very early ages? It's, it's just part of the messages we're receiving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, Jean Kilborn gives the statistic. She's a, um, an activist and, um, she started actually studying advertising back in the 1960s. Um, and she pulls out the statistic that, um, by six months, a, a baby can recognize a logo. Um, and so, <laughs> Like, I think the impact that like visuals and culture have on us is really remarkable and underestimated. 
Um, and so the, uh, there's this filmmaker that I just interviewed, um, Alina Rossini. She had a, a film that she made called the illusionist. And she talks about this idea of media saturation and how 80% of our waking hours, we, and actually that was estimated that by, that by 2020, 80% of our waking hours, we would be exposed to some kind of media, but I just interviewed Elena and she said that it's probably higher now. Wow. And so what we are taking in though, um, at this, again, this, in this media saturated culture are largely fake images, um, and that have been retouched or have a filter on them. Um, and also when we think about advertising and I never had thought about how powerful advertising is and how there is an agenda, um, to, you know, at one point also advertising shifted from like playing on our logic to then playing on our subconscious desires and, um, insecurities. And so when we think about um, what we're being sold, like a certain image is being sold as the, um, you know, maybe the symbol of um, being ex like, I don't know, being sexy or being, um, you know, happy or. Um, and so I think that if we are being inundated with these ideal flawless images our whole life with this idea of, okay, and then with the, this image comes um, social acceptance, comes happiness, comes yeah. wealth. Um, there, I, I call it brainwashing, which I, I don't know if that like seems kind of extreme, no. but I, I, no. <laughs> I just, I truly think it is, um, you know, and if you think about like Disney movies, you know, for, for me, that was the, I grew up on Disney movies and of course it was the, the wide-eyed, beautiful girl who is the princess. And, um, but the, the evil character is, um, sometimes in a larger body. And there is this theory called the, what is beautiful is good theory. And, um, how we see that played out in our culture too, that if you are a good person or a good character, you have more, um, I guess what would be societal marks of societal beauty. You know, um, a study, it was a digital insights study from 2022, noted that it talked about those of us who are using social media the most and the least. And this is none of this is going to surprise you, Melissa, but the average social media user is on social media two hours and 26 minutes per day. The ones who are least on social media, men, 55 to 64. Those mm -hmm. who are the most, the ages of are most on social media are women, ages 16 to 24. And they're on over three hours per day. Wow. And I shake my head at that. You know, when I think about when I go on my Instagram and I see the images I'm seeing on Instagram, it's not reality. It's not even close to being real. And the, the, what is the impact of what are you seeing as the impact mm -hmm. of that type of images for three, over three hours a day to 16 to 24-year-olds, really all women, but I'm narrowing it down. Yeah. I mean, that can't be healthy. No, and I wish I had this data like right in front of me, but the CDC data on um, like female adolescent mental health is stunning. Um, it's like the, ugh, I feel like I, I don't want to even attempt it, but it's like the, it, it's really stunning how much the, and even the past, um, even like couple of years, the like depressive and uh, depressive symptoms and also like anxiety. Um, and, you know, so we can't, I guess, say, say that that's a cause social media is the cause, but we can probably make some, um, you, you know, what has changed? I mean, I guess we talk about the pandemic, but also, um, 
I think that that's interesting. Some other effects, and I had never heard about this till, I don't know, maybe like six months or a year ago. I guess some people are going into, um, in for plastic surgery for, um, to make their faces look like an Instagram filter, a particular filter. Um, and so. Yeah. You, by the way, I was on Instagram, uh, last night and no, I saw this on Twitter, even worse, <laughs> Melissa, but they, <laughs> it was about artificial intelligence, how AI is now going to make Photoshop. Um, it's going to just make it, um, not even useful anymore because AI can do that. So the, I was watching this video. It had a, a picture of a young woman and mm -hmm. she was a very, in other words, just pick someone out of the, uh, out of the uh, shopping mall. Mm -hmm. Right. It was a, a normal person, normal looking person. Okay. Yeah. And then through the art uh, or through artificial intelligence, they were morphing things. They were changing mm -hmm. the, the size of her nose and the rotating her yes. face. And they were making her look a uh, hundred different ways. And, mm -hmm. and every one of them was not real. If these images are like what we were just talking about, literally being, <laughs> um, I think Elena Rossini talks about it as visual pollution. If we are being, our, our minds and our hearts are being polluted all day, we really need to be intentional about choosing something different that is actually good for, for us and our souls. I think it's the blemishes that do make, I don't know, add character to people. I mean, I, I know the people in my life that are, that um, I love, and my wife, my daughters, and they're, no one's perfect. They've, like all of us, they've got unique things about them. And it's the blemishes that make them special and and mm -hmm. unique. And this this chase for flawless is just uh, so damaging. So I commend you for for stepping mm -hmm. into this in such a such a courageous way. How can we then uh, walk away from this shame mm -hmm. that is just a result of this? I, I mean, I think one of the biggest things. I mean, I, I think your your question about shame goes to a deeper place, which I think is great. So I'll touch on that in just just a minute. But I think one of the things is really waking up to what we're being fed, because I think, again, when we're just, it's a saturation and inundation. I think even if we, I think we just need to see the agenda that is there and also maybe turn down the volume on it. Um, meaning trying to expose ourselves less. Um, but in terms of the shame piece, I think, uh, again, I think that actually helps to kind of take a look at, of uh, how, advertisers are purposefully trying to, to elicit shame. Um, and I, I do want to go ahead quickly and give a definition for shame, because I think that Please. it's, it, it's a, a word that is thrown out there a lot. Um, so I'm going to give Brene Brown's definition of shame. And that is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. I just want to read that last part again. Therefore we are unworthy of love and belonging. And so I think, you know, I think I talk about this quote actually in my class, how the deepest human desire is to be known deeply and know others deeply. And when we feel like, um, it's that shame, that experience of being so flawed that we are unworthy of love and belonging, like that goes to the core of our humanity. And so that is, um, intensely painful. And that is, purposefully, again, what is being elicited. Um, so again, I think the first thing to do is open our eyes to seeing the agenda that is being put out there by advertisers and corporations so that we can take a step back and not like step into the, the emotional matrix that they're inviting us into. Hmm. Um, and then from there, um, you know, and I think this is where it becomes a little bit more, um, in, I guess like an internal 
uh, process of noticing. I think it can be really helpful to notice like, when am I feeling shame? Where do I feel shame in my body? Slowing the whole process down. Um, you know, Brene Brown also talks about when we can connect with other people that helps us, um, that helps decrease shame. And then I think as well, taking a look, I know for me, um, having the experience of like love, God's love or grace, like experiencing that in an embodied way, um, whether that's like visualizing that, um, or something along those lines and making that real. I think that that can be a huge way to counteract shame because, uh, shame is embodied. It's not just mental or it's not just cognitive. Um, and so I think in order to combat it, we have to combat it with the truth, which I think is this all encompassing grace and love that, um, defines us and surrounds us. And I think we can, um, try to like, uh, experience that as fully as we do shame. Yeah. Wow. Very deep, very deep, great thoughts on this. I want to build on that. You talk about, so beware, you are being sold a package of goods that banks on the fact that American women will want to keep up with the Joneses. This time, however, the Joneses are fit, toned, and always bikini ready. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's purposefully a moving target. Um, this, this, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking of, I'm like laughing because I'm thinking of different Instagram influencers and I don't want to name anyone, I guess, or, um, <laughs> but I, I think it's, um, you know, I, I think it's a, a moving target because like, first of all, we're human, so we can't look plastic, you know, and unless mm -hmm. I mean those biff surgeries or whatever, I guess we, we can, but then if, I mean, even if the target's moving or, you know, we're getting older and gravity is taking its toll. Like we're, we're always going to be going after this, this thing, this elusive, um, beauty or flawlessness or perfection. Um, and so it's never going to satisfy and not going to bring about fulfillment by nature of, of what it is and what it's causing us to do. I want to talk about the spirituality side of things. You talked about your relationship with God uh, a few minutes ago, and mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about that. Because coming through your eating disorder, what did you? How did your relationship with with God, or how did your faith change as a result? What was that evolution like for you? Mm, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, it's funny because I think I've always innately just been a spiritual, we're all spiritual. I don't know why I would say that we're all spiritual, but I've, um, I've always, um, I don't know, felt connected to God, like since I was young and what was tricky about having an eating disorder is I kind of had this sense that God wasn't happy with the fact that I had these rules around food. Um, and so I felt like for some reason, I think I felt like God was like mad at me about it or something. Like I was doing something wrong. Mm. Um, and so some pretty real experiences like this reminder that God was like in it with me, um, and was right alongside me in, in the mix and the mess of it. And like God's grace of, and, and his love, just like sitting in the crap with me, like, um, and like waiting through it with me, like that became very real. And so I think, what it really did is, um, it, it also helped me, I think, move away from the perfectionism stuff a bit, like realizing that I didn't really have to do things for God to approve of me or like me or love me. 
it was already there. Like his acceptance and his love was, um, was just so real and tangible in, in the moment. And some, something is like about that is deeply transformational. Well, okay. Yes. And, uh, we haven't brought this up, but before we started recording, we talked about our Minnesota roots. So I grew up in Minnesota. I grew up a Lutheran in Minnesota and in confirmation class and Sunday school and of, or the way I interpreted God was a very, like I, I visualized him, I visualized him as an old man sitting in a rocking chair, really judgmental and yeah. truly fire and brimstone, the old Testament God. And I, I can see where that judgment could come from. I remember uh, growing up and, and having that, yeah, the fear, the fear of God. So that's not a big stretch, but then the new <laughs> Testament comes along. <laughs> so there's, that's a whole different mood. And now I'm, yeah. I'm taking such a casual, casual commentary. You have more, much more background in spiritual, spiritual training, et cetera. Am I playing too loose with the facts? Cause I don't mean to make it trivial. No, no. And it's actually really interesting because I think, I mean, your point about these early images of God, they actually, what we see is that they, that early image oftentimes stays with us, our, you know, are the remainder of our life. And, you know, whether or not we realize that, um, okay, maybe there could be more truth around that. Like maybe it's not the old man, but maybe it's more of, you know, a Jesus looking God. Um, but I'm with you actually for some reason. I don't know why, why is that? I have the same kind of, kind of an image, a, a grandpa fatherly man in a, in a, um, a rocking chair. And yeah, that's interesting. You know, there are, there's someone listening. In fact, a lot of people are listening and they're just now done with three hours of, um, Instagram, whether that's a man or a woman. And they, this message is really connecting with them, really resonating with them. What would you hope that they would get from your book, Soul Deep Beauty, Melissa? What message would you hope that they take away from it? Yeah, I think my my hope is kind of this awakening to the beauty that we're being sold and hopefully looking at the images such as on, on Instagram or, or even in the media with with new eyes, like almost more critical eyes to see um, the agenda behind it but then also a week awakening to, um, and maybe taking some steps to engaging in, um, in this other kind of definition of beauty, um, that, that I really think is for our good and for our thriving. What do you think that we, that we haven't talked about enough, or maybe a question I should have asked, do you think I've missed? Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. I've, um, I, I think the thing that I, I often come back to is you said this at, at the outset, outset is that we, we are, are being lied to and just awakening to that fact, um, I think is, is one of my, my biggest, um, hopes for, for people so that we can kind of be, uh, I don't know, kind of like shake off some of these, cause I think these, these things like, again, with the dopamine hit that we get with the social media and there's just a lot of um, seemingly positive feedback we get um, from engaging our these technologies um, that that feed us these things, um, but to wake up to the fact that it it actually isn't isn't good for us. And I don't say that from from a shaming place, but just from a a hopeful place that to, so we can turn to something um, that is more life giving. Good. 
Okay, Melissa, so obviously you have your brand new book coming out. Uh, what else is coming up in 2023, 2024 that's bringing you a lot of joy and purpose? What, what What's coming up that's on your radar? Yeah, yeah, such a good question. So Impossible Beauty is holding our first event in Minnesota, Minneapolis area at this place called the Hutton House, uh, right near Medicine Lake for people who are familiar with the area. And it is a gorgeous space and they are actually sponsoring this event. And so it is a day-long women's retreat. So it's going to be from 10 to four. I'm going to be speaking on redefining beauty. I have another local therapist who is a trained certified intuitive eating counselor. She's going to be talking about intuitive eating. And then I have a local therapist and spiritual director who's going to be doing some embodiment exercises, which simply means exercises that help us live in our bodies and in having experiencing the joy of living in our bodies versus critiquing our bodies. So this is a, a really exciting event. And just the way that like the Hutton house has come around us, um, and we have another company who's sponsoring dessert for us. So it's just, it's been nice. really cool to have, um, to see the, like, I don't know, the community spirit around this. I've just never done an, uh, an event like this. And so I'm really excited for it. Congratulations on the event. And by the way, I follow you on Instagram and I saw the Hutton House. What a beautiful venue. That looks unbelievable. Uh, at the end of each podcast, Melissa, I ask all my guests, what is your I dare you challenge for all of us? So from your perspective, you've got the floor. You would dare us to do what? Yeah, I dare you to think about what is your definition of beauty and how is that definition impacting your your soul? Simple. Simple. And that's something we can definitely we can definitely uh, ponder as we as we close out this podcast. So Melissa, uh, congratulations again on the book and for being so bold and courageous in writing this. And thank you very much for being part of the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, that was Melissa Johnson. I hope you enjoyed getting to know her and what she is all about. I admire her for writing this type of book, Soul Deep Beauty, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawless. It's the right message at the right time. And the way she serves it up in this podcast, but also in the book. So I admire Melissa a lot for for stepping into it. We need it. So now what will you do with this message? Um, everyone's going to hear something different, but I invite you, now that you listened Share this episode with those in your life who are important to you, family, friends, uh, maybe one person. It could be a whole lot more than that. But take that next step. This is the type of message that we definitely need to get out. You know, one of the big takeaways for me in talking to Melissa is that I think all of us need to be very aware of what we're inputting into our mind and how everything we consume is having an impact on our mindset and our behaviors. Or the story we tell ourselves that I'm not good enough. And where does that come from? I don't think that's the way God intended us to think or believe. We are good enough. We're more than good enough, especially in his eyes. And doesn't that just feel fantastic knowing that? There's a lot of messages coming at us that will try to convince us otherwise, but don't forget it. We are more than enough. And I am so glad that you are here listening. This podcast is growing rapidly because of you. There's no ad budget. There's no big influencers behind it. It's because of you and others in the audience are listening and they're sharing with others. And I know you've got a lot of choices in digital media and your time. The fact that you are tuning in week after week means the world to me. And I just want to thank you for taking that step and sharing with others and getting the word out there. Now make sure you follow us on Instagram. We've got a cool thing going there too, at I Dare You Pod. And there you'll find exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. We always share video snippets of interviews with Melissa and others. A lot of great content. And so if you haven't visited with us yet, I would love to see you there. That's also a great chance for you to drop me a direct message on Instagram. Give me some feedback on how these episodes are working for you. 
Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Get ready for episode 76 next week. And I can't wait for you to be here for that. We're going to keep this thing going on the I Dare You podcast. Thanks for coming along for the ride. I'll see you next week.